Hey folks, Duncan Kinney here to remind you that the Progress Report is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. A pod on the network that I want to highlight is the latest from Kino Lefter, where everyone's favorite Canadian socialist movie podcaster, Evan McDonald, is joined by Karen Mills of the Alberta Advantage to discuss one of the latest entries in the MCU, The Eternals. And while I don't actually plan on ever watching this movie, except maybe like on an airplane if I was bored or something, I really did enjoy the podcast, and I really do enjoy... Evan McDonald's uh, analysis of the world and of movies. And I'm also here to give you the latest pitch on why you should become a Progress Report donor. And I am going to be leaning on the holiday season for this one. It is December. The Christmas cheer is flowing. Christmas is coming. And the best possible gift you could give me, uh, your parasocial podcast pal, is to become a recurring donor to the Progress Report. Your donation ensures that we are able to pay rent, uh, make payroll, and also produce this very podcast that you're listening to right now. So if you can spare five, ten, fifteen dollars a month, whatever you can afford, Jim and I would be very grateful. There is a link in the show notes, or you could go to theprogressreport.ca and you could put in your credit card info and become a, re- a recurring donor today. Now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, recording today here in Amiskwichiwa Skygun, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory on the banks of the Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today, we're very excited, is Gordon Laxer, a founding director of the Parkland Institute, a professor emeritus at the University of Alberta, an author, a commentator, as well as the very first chairperson of the Toronto Toronto chapter for the Waffle Movement for an Independent Socialist Canada. Gordon, welcome to the Progress Report. How are you doing? Ah, I'm doing well. Great to be here. It's a real pleasure to have you on. The reason uh, I reached out to you, the reason you're on the podcast today, is a report you recently released titled Posing as Canadian, How Big Foreign Oil Captures Canadian Energy and Climate Policy. And it 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 was released, you know, I read through the report. I read the executive summary the other day. This yeah. is like important foundational knowledge that anyone who commentates about or thinks about or writes about or has opinions about energy or oil and gas or climate policy in this country needs to be aware of. And I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm not, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here where it's just like, no one gave a shit. I don't know. I think if the average Canadian learned this, that they would be quite angry. Uh, oh, I agree. I, I think it fills in a huge gap on the discourse here when it comes to the influence of foreign money uh, and foreign ownership in the oil and gas sector in Canada here. And we have just gone in Alberta here through a, a massive media cycle, really for the past decade, where Jason Kenney and Vivian Krauss and Cap and their kind of enablers in the media have spent the past decade repeating the line that organized climate action in this country is essentially some big foreign-funded plot. But it it turns out, and what your report really lays out, is that the other side, the the oil and gas, and their kind of enablers in media and and politics, they are guilty of exactly what they have been accusing their enemies of doing. Can you walk us through kind of like the big findings of your report, what you want people to take away from the report? Yes, um... And it's um, the um, uh, Allen inquiry, the public inquiry, 
really aimed at a molehill and then missed the Rockies because the, uh, you know, the uh, Kenny government set up a, a public inquiry and a war room uh, to uh, counter what they called a, a well-orchestrated, uh, uh, well-planned foreign-funded attack on, on, the, on the Alberta oil, to landlock Alberta oil. And what they found is that there was only a pittance of money. Uh, actually, the money that, would, that, that, that came in directly to uh, help fund um, uh, groups that were uh, trying to uh, block the export of, of Alberta oil, uh, th that foreign funding was actually less than the uh, cost of the public inquiry itself. So why would you have a public inquiry to look into something that's supposed to be big and it costs more for the inquiry itself. So it was a pittance. And, you know, the, the purpose of, of, um, of trying to target environmentalists uh, was to, it was just the McCarthyist idea that we will label them and we will, we will get a, a forensic auditor and we'll just get, you know, so people will, will just assume then that these are bad guys doing illegal things. And so it was much better as an election strategy for Kenny in uh, 2019 when he, his party won the election than it was to actually go through it. So what we found is, is what we looked at is, you know, the big foreign oil uh, is much more influential, is hugely funded, uh, just on a, a scale that is just so immensely different than uh, the, the environmentalists. The environmentalists, I mean, why were the environmentalists... Um, why did they have a campaign to try and stop pipelines? Well, it's because the emissions from the uh, production of oil and gas in Canada is the biggest single source of emissions. And, uh, you know, the, the oil and gas industry is centered in Alberta. So well, it wasn't anti-Alberta. They were just trying to stop. The, it was taking the climate seriously. But big foreign oil, what we, we looked at, uh, if you're foreign owned, it means you're foreign funded. So. When, um, uh, and your said, report really, really gets into the granular detail, right, of just, just how foreign-owned the ostensibly Canadian oil and gas industry is, right? Yes, um, uh, Sonia Savage, the the uh, uh, energy minister, uh, said that uh, it was uh, foreign funding uh, is is something we should be concerned about. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, why would people who, an industry which is so overwhelmingly foreign-owned and funded, start a campaign? And they were the ones who started it and talk about this, uh, this terrible, nefarious conspiracy, uh, you know. So what we did is we looked at um, the Board of Governors of CAP, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. It's the apex oil uh, and gas lobby in, in Canada, uh, of course, mainly centered in Alberta, but um, they spend a lot, you know, they, so what I did is I looked at their board of governors to, and to find out how many of the corporations on their board are foreign owned and how many are Canadian owned. So we looked at uh, the Bloomberg uh, terminals, so you can go in there at any time and, and find the, the ownership that is um, uh, of these companies and, and uh, you know, where the residents are. So we found that um, 30 of the 48 corporations were uh, on CAP's board were confirmed as either 100% foreign-owned or majority foreign-owned. Another seven 
were likely uh, majority foreign owned. And we say likely because uh, if it was less than 50% of their shares were actually reported and it was still foreign owned, and they were mainly foreign owned, we couldn't then confirm it. But, but if you add those two together, 77% of CAP's board uh, represents corporations that are either uh, fully foreign owned or majority foreign owned. And if you look at the actual production of, of oil and gas, uh, the, the foreign owned ones are the big ones. There are no big Canadian oil and gas corporations. There has not been a big one since Suncor took over PetroCanada in 2009. So if you look at the funding of CAP, so it's, it, it's a foreign, it's a foreign uh, corporate funding. Um, the uh, the uh, uh, corporations on its board that are foreign owned produce 97% of their oil and CAP's fees for their own membership fees for these corporations is based on their level of, of oil and gas production. So CAP doesn't uh, make its annual budget uh, publicly available. But uh, since, you know, but it does say that, that uh, you know, the, the, the greater the uh, level of production, the more, the higher the fees. So we can conclude that something like 97% of CAP's funding is foreign funded. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, we, I do want to get into the methodology and how you got, how you figure this out and like the Bloomberg terminal stuff as well as the like the kind of faulty methodology that is used by StatsCan and all that stuff. But it is incredible that like we just don't even contemplate, you know, in the discourse, the fact that that oil and gas is a part of a global capitalistic system and global capital is by definition global. And, and those folks and, and the people who own these companies the, the, the where the benefits accrue, right? The shareholders are both the owners of the company and the vast and the huge chunk of these companies have like dividends and stuff, right? These proceeds are going to people who don't live in Canada and who very well have, who very well may have uh, financial and political interests that are at odds with both folks who live in Canada uh, as well as, um, you know, the goal of that I hope everyone shares, which is, you know, of uh, ensuring that we have a habitable planet in 50 to 100 years. Yes, because their business model is to uh, produce as much as they can for as long as they can, regardless of the damage it does. And of course, they love to talk about it. And they some of them now, they used to be into, into uh, climate denial for many years. I mean, the oil industry knew in the 1950s uh, the big oil companies knew that it that it caused global warming, and they war were warned about that, and they did nothing. They denied it for many years. Then they now that recently they started talking a good game, but but the thing you have to realize is the the longer they talk, they sit down and talk. They're making tens of millions of dollars a day talking and delaying action. So that's you know they they're going to look pretend they're they're good guys, but and they are lobbying lobbying both the federal and provincial Alberta governments, uh, just about daily. And, you know, there was a secret committee um, that uh, the federal government set up with, with CAP, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, in when COVID started. Most of us were stuck at home, you know, uh, for those of us who could uh, work from home. 
but uh, uh, Cap didn't stop its lobbying. <laughs> and so they got a, a secret industry um, um, committee. They met weekly and they, the oil industry came up with a whole bunch of demands and about half of them were implemented, uh, you know, sort of delaying action, trying to get the public to pick up the tab on the environmental liabilities in Alberta. Uh, in fact, they did. The, 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 the Canadian government picked it up instead of, here, the oil industry is making so much. I, I've done another study, which is also going to come out very soon, which shows that the oil industry takes out the foreign uh, section of the oil industry, takes out $23 billion a year from Alberta, uh, or uh, from actually from the tar sands itself. It uh, doesn't even touch down in Canada. It just goes out to foreign owners. Um, and, you know, the I mean, when you're thinking of that level, that is close, you know, the something like half the level of the Alberta budget. So, it, I mean, this is a huge amount of money, and they are blocking action. The thing is that Canada, for the biggest source of emissions in Canada, is the production of oil and gas. It's on the supply side. It's it's and it, all almost everything that governments are doing is on the demand side. The demand side matters, you know. So they put or up electricity, a, right? Yeah or carbon tax or whatever but but it's if, if we what if we uh we are the g7 bad boy that we are by far the laggard in, the, in g7 and emissions and the reason is the power of the of oil of big oil and it's big foreign oil so um uh, yeah and your, i think your report makes your report makes an incredibly you know compelling case uh, essentially, you've you've just kind of summarized the entire thing, and I think it's we're going to link to it in the show notes if you want to read it. There, there's also an op-ed uh, by Gordon that's on the that the Toronto Star published. But this is an incredibly important bit of analysis and research that you know no one really wants to talk about or acknowledge. Uh, it, it is the lie kind of underneath the entire you know, effort, you know, this has really been the, a decade of work by Vivian Krauss and the conservative movement and CAP and their agents to cast the, uh, the environmental movement as this big foreign funded boogeyman, you know, and you got a quote, you have a quote in your report that it's good. It's like, I don't know where this saying uh, comes from. You just, it, it's maybe it's apocryphal, but it's like, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? It's, it's, uh, and you know, it's a, it's a classic tactic of, of, you know, autocratic regimes to simply just accuse their enemies of what they themselves are doing. Um, I also really liked your analogy uh, and let's go back to the start of the report because I think your start, your report starts off with the inquiry quite rightly. And I really did enjoy your analogy between Kenny kind of calling the inquiry and, and then having it quickly get out of control and turn into a huge embarrassment and a liability to David Cameron, the PM of the UK, calling the Brexit referendum and having uh, it get away from him quite, quite badly as well. Yes, I, I do think Kenny did this partly. I mean, he did it at the behest of many ways of Cap, because Cap called for this, Tim McMillan, uh, two months before the Alberta election, uh, made a speech in, in Edmonton, uh, to the Chamber of Commerce and said, we've been the victims. Here, here it is, big oil. We are the victims of a very well-orchestrated, well-planned, foreign-funded attack. So it, I think within Kenny's group, the United Conservative Party, um, 
I I I think it it's uh, those uh, there are those who are, are want to do something who you know feel like they're being hurt, especially the smaller producer producers. So they they wanted this this inquiry, and you know to have blamed somebody. It's that sort of idea that that you you know there's got to be some kind of nefarious reason why we're not prospering. Um, and I and I think that Kenny um, is very worried about uh, uh, a right wing split off from his party. I mean, he put together the Wild Rose and the Progressive Conservative Party in 2017. And he's worried about a, a revolt from the right. So I think that's one of the motivations that he did the uh, war room and public inquiry. Yes. I, I, and to go back to the Brexit analogy, I think the consequences and the kind of like scale of, of failure there is different. I mean, David Cameron ended up resigning, right? Well, unfortunately, we've had no such luck with Jason Kenney, despite how embarrassingly off the rails the war room and the, uh, the inquiry have gone. But the they have been unequivocal failures, and the the people of Canada and Alberta have largely seen through what was, you know, a very transparently and nakedly uh, propagandistic exercise uh, for again the poor whittle oil companies, right? The like the largest, most profitable <laughs> actors in our economy to suggest that like, oh, uh, you know, a few million dollars coming from foundations to like. Uh, nonprofits and environmentalists was was the like the thing that was holding them back was on its face ridiculous. Yes, the the, the scale of it. If you look at uh, Sandy Garasino's analysis, um, she wrote for the National Observer. She said that you know when she looked at all the um, uh, the uh, charitable foundations and grants you know given around the world, and only one percent of them went to climate. Um, uh, plans. It mostly went to other environmental things, and only one percent of the one percent went to Canada. So we, and so we're talking about what is that? Uh, one one uh, tenth of one percent? No, one 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 hundredth of one percent of all the uh, of all these. A very small number, whatever it, whatever the percentage ends up being. Yes, it's tiny, but but it plays a propaganda role. Um, and, and, and the amazing thing is, you know, the uh, CAP uh, has copied their big brother, uh, the API, the American Petroleum Institute, which represents most of the same companies. Um, and the American Petroleum Institute has, has a, a number of um, fake citizen groups, astroturf groups that, that pretend they're, they're um, you know, citizen based. And CAP and they and the API taught CAP how to do this and and so what does CAP do? It just puts sticks Canadian in front of the same organizations that are that are living in the you know the the, the API uh, uh, created in the U.S. So for example, the in the states they created a group called uh, uh, Energy Citizens. So CAP created a group called Canada's Energy Citizens, and they. <laughs> They stick a maple. If they have no imagination, even so, they're, they're they're pretending to be Canadian nationalists, and they just take direction from Big Brother, uh, Big Oil in the U.S. Um, and you know, it's total fake. And you know, but I'm afraid. I mean, some people fall for it. May fall for it. Uh, Canada's energy citizens. You know, they say they got a quarter of a million uh, Facebook followers and likes and all that kind of stuff. And and they if you look at their their page it does look like it's a genuine citizen based group, 
It does. And, and, and we are going to get into that later. I do, I do want to take a, a minute just to get into the meat of your findings and just kind of look at these tables. And, and like, again, we'll, we'll link to it uh, in the show notes, but like the, uh, <laughs> the I mean, just the, let's just start off with the obvious ones, which are just like literally the straight up 100% foreign owned companies that operate here in uh, Alberta, right? Husky, for instance, uh, 70% owned by Li Keqing right? Who is, I think, a Hong Kong national, right? We've got Imperial Oil. Very, I mean, everyone knows, but if you don't know, it's just a subsidiary of ExxonMobil, like the, one of the largest, if not the largest oil company in the world. But we've also got Nexen, you know, which is owned by Sinoc. We've got Chevron. We've got Petronas, which is owned by Malaysia. We've got BP Canada, British Petroleum. We've got Repsol. We've got Shell Canada. We've got Total. All these companies are on the board of governors for cap and mm. all of them are just directly foreign owned yes and, and, and let's just let's get those out of the way right because those are the easy ones right yeah and and if you look at petronas for example the past chair of cap uh came from petronas mark fitzgerald so they, these they, these companies play an important role in cap but okay let's go on to the ones that are majority canadian owned and that people may think are so majority foreign-owned, and people may think are Canadian-owned. Yeah, so these are the publicly traded companies. So you're able to go into their into the Bloomberg terminal and kind of look at the records and see that how who where the majority of shares is owned by, like their country of origin of the people who own it. And these are non-subsidiary, so these aren't owned by like some big bad oil company. But these are companies that people commonly think of as Canadian. Uh, you know, they're based in Canada. Their head office is based in Canada, but the majority of their owners are in fact not Canadian. And these are companies that you might be aware of, like Birchcliff Energy, which I think is an intermediate, right? Uh, Synovus, um, you know, 83% of their shares are on Bloomberg and 72% of the shares that you were able to check on Bloomberg are foreign owned. Synovus is kind of commonly looked at as this Canadian success story, but it's not. And it's, it's even more egregious when you consider the origin of Synovus, which was that it was created, uh, you know, originally in the in the mode of economic nationalism, right? Peter Lougheed created the Alberta Energy Corporation, and eventually that merged with Pan-Canadian, created in Canada, and Canada split into two pieces, and one of those pieces was Synovus, right? You know, we've got uh, Bonavista Energy Corp., uh, you know, Bonterra Energy Corp., the big daddy, of course, CNRL, uh, you know, the largest oil company in Canada, 77% of their shares are on Bloomberg and 55% of them are foreign owned. Like, you know, we're absolutely wild. Um, Ovintive, okay, speaking of, of Synovus, we'll talk about the other half of when, when and Canada split into two or when Pan-Canadian and Alberta Energy Corp merged, what was left over was in Canada. Eventually that became Oventive, and they just kind of have picked up stakes and moved to the United States altogether. And again, 71% of their shares are on Bloomberg Terminal, 87% of them are foreign-owned. Even like smaller companies like Painted Pony or Peto Exploration, you know, the vast majority of the of the the uh, shares that are you're able to check out on Bloomberg Terminal are foreign-owned. And one of the examples that I'm really glad you kind of dug into was Questair Energy Corp. Mm -hmm. and good old Michael Binion. Mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, you you dedicate a, a decent section of your of your report talking about Michael Binion because he is a bit of an of a very in, he's a very influential figure in um like oil and gas booster land and kind of like the conservative wing of the oil and gas industry, right? He started up the Modern Miracle Network. He was like one of the facilitators of, and I think the people who was responsible for bringing together that all-day meeting between uh, like the oil and gas industry and the Conservative Party of Canada's senior leadership uh, that was reported on, I think by the Globe and Mail, was it was it who reported on yeah. that? And it was just, it was six months before the 2019 federal election. So they got CAP and the oil industry got a full day uh, meeting with uh, a, a party which, you know, were, had a good chance of forming government. Exactly. And Questair Energy is owned by European banks. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. anyways, just an FYI. Uh, you know, great big Canadian success story. Suncor Energy, you know, took over Petro Canada, mm-hmm. merged ostensibly. Seventy-nine uh, percent of their shares are on Bloomberg Terminal, and sixty-six percent of them are foreign-owned. It is a majority foreign-owned company. I'm yeah. sorry, people. It is not. It is not Canadian, even though they own the Petro Canada uh, yeah. gas stations. Yeah, and with, with flying the Maple Leaf, Petro Canada. Exactly right. Uh, Termaline Oil Comp, I think Termaline, Termaline Oil Corporation, I think is also worth pointing out from this table. Fifty-three um, percent uh, of their shares are on Bloomberg Terminal. Seventy-four percent foreign-owned. Mike Rose, the CEO of Termaline, is a big player uh, in conservative politics and has splashed a lot of money around when it comes to uh, pro canny packs, and is just a big player, quite frankly, when it comes to conservative politics and funding uh, kind of conservative politics in this province. Yes. And um, and again, his oil company is majority foreign-owned. Yep. Based yes. on the numbers. If you look at the Canadian companies, and it's, they're, they're just tiny ones. They may they produce something like 3% of the total production. And most of them are privately held. So some of them are, you can't even be positive that who owns it because they don't sell their shares publicly. But they're all, they're all tiny in, in their production. Yeah, like with the exception of like NAL, which is a bit of a, like an intermediate. Everyone is either a junior or right on the edge of being a junior, uh, or or is an organization like Perpetual Energy, which we've reported on before, which has its own uh, legal troubles when it comes to oil and gas liabilities. Um, no, yes, exactly right. Like the amount of like companies that are majority Canadian owned or presumed to be majority Canadian owned. Like you've probably never heard of them unless you're a big like oil and gas head. And two, their production is minuscule compared to the big boys. And this is where, you know, I'm really grateful for, um, you know, the fact that you said that you had access to a Bloomberg terminal because I don't have access to a Bloomberg terminal, nor, nor do I have the kind of patience and the, the wherewithal to do it. But like, it's, it's difficult because it costs $2,000 a month U.S., to have access to it. So we were able to work with an environmental group in the U.S. in San Francisco who, uh, who uh, had, they have access, they pay for the Bloomberg terminal and they did uh, research for us. Well, that's brilliant. And, you know, just, just so glad that Michael Bloomberg made an extra $2,000 off of this. But again, well worth it for the analysis and the research that was dug up. But you just can't do anything under capitalism without it benefiting a fucking ghoul. Yeah, right. And 
so again, I would encourage you to go through the report, especially the tables and through Gordon's methodology and look at it. And it's just like, look, it, it's, it's incontrovertible. Like these folks, these, these organizations, these oil and gas companies are, are majority foreign owned, vast majority of them. But what did they have to do to kind of like, you know, distract from this reality? And this is where, you know, we get into the stuff that you were talking about just, just a few minutes ago, the, the energy, Canadian energy citizens. And, and you kind of frame it as, you know, social license became this very popular buzzword amongst, uh, you know, both oil and gas and mining executives. And there's quite frankly, there's a lot of crossover between the two <laughs> on a lot of the things that they do. And, you know, these Canada's energy industry took this idea of social license and, you know, instead of doing any number of other things, they decided to embark on a massive Canada-wide, but with a special focus on Alberta, uh, astroturfing campaign, or if not astroturfing fully, fully all the way through, like astroturf light, right? Can you yeah, kind of so walk us through what they, what they got up to? Sure. Well, let's explain astroturf. So everybody knows that that's what that, uh, you, you put on a field when they, you don't have, uh, you know, regular grass. So gra grassroots, they're grassroots organizations. An astroturf one, it pretends it's grassroots. So um, there are um, quite a number of organizations that the uh, oil co uh, uh, companies and CAP uh, uh, fund, and they have uh, campaigns on social media. Uh, so the, the Canada's Energy Citizens is, uh, is the one that is fully funded by CAP. And they actually admit it that they're, but, but, it, but they still, you know, they're, um, they, they still look like a, a, a citizen-based group. They have individual members. There's also um, uh, Canada's Canada Action, which is not, uh, uh, it was actually founded by uh, Cody Battershill, who was a real estate agent in Calgary. <clears throat> uh, no connection to the oil industry, no. But, uh, and it claims to be totally independent from the oil industry. But we found that there was a, uh, kind of inadvertently arc uh, uh, petroleum um, in in one of its filings said that they gave a hundred um, and there may be more and the, so there there's there's quite a number of groups maybe a dozen groups that are um, uh, you know on the social media active saying we're citizen based and being pro oil industry and and you know, calling uh, environmentalist traders and un-Canadian and all that kind of thing. So one of my favorite things is that, like, the social media graphics and memes that uh, Canada's energy citizens will put together is that they'll, like, just have some numbers and some rhetoric or whatever. And then, like, as a source, they'll just have cap as a source. And it's like, you're cap. Like, you're quoting yourself in your own memes. It's very funny and self-referential. Um, the other thing about Canada Action is that I actually went to high school with Cody Battershill. I grew up in Calgary, as did Cody. And uh, he, um, I mean, never did I ever predict that, you know, the, I mean, I was a stoned, depressed teenager, much like Cody was, uh, but that he would uh, eventually turn up in my life as an adult as this unapologetic 
shill for the oil and gas company who, again, you're very correct, like tried to represent himself as just, uh, I'm just a regular dude out here running rallies for the largest, most profitable industry in this country. <laughs> but then, you know, you you look, you, you peel, but peel back the onion a tiny little bit and it's like, oh, $100,000 from some like, from some random company, like Arc Resources is not a big player in the space. But if they can find $100,000 in their, uh, in their kitty for Cody Battershill, then I don't understand. And then I, I think it's very likely that other larger companies gave Kenny, gave Cody Battershill and Canada Action very similar amounts or even more money. <laughs> and uh, and you even get into it. It's like, even if that never happened, like if even if all they were doing is just buying, uh, you know, I love Canadian energy or I love Alberta energy, like hoodies and stickers on in bulk, like they'd st- still subsidizing it, right? And I think it is worth uh, worthwhile to just take a minute to go through all of the uh, organizations that do exist because there's there's more than you think. Uh, it's not just Canadian Canada's Energy Citizens and Canada Action. Um, let, let's just like find that in the report here. Let me just dig it up. Um, you know, we've got Modern Miracle Network. We've got uh, Suits and Boots. We've got Resource Works. Uh, what, what am I leaving out here? I'm still trying to, I'm just going off memory still. Uh, British Columbians for Prosperity, the Canadian Natural Resources Alliance, uh, Pipeline Action, Oil Sands Action. Well, speaking of which, the guy who runs Oil Sands Action, uh, there is a video on the internet of him um, zip-tying himself to the front door of the building that I work in uh, because the Greenpeace used to have their storage space here. <laughs> And and he had this video slash live stream of him zip tying himself to the front of a building. And then eventually he like, I think it was at like five o'clock on like a weeknight. And, uh, and I think everyone had left for the day. I mean, I never saw him, but like the building we work in is like a co-working space. There are like lawyers and, and uh, lawyers offices here. There's even like a pipeline company here now, like a, like a analytics company. <laughs> It's just like a random bit of office space in downtown Edmonton. Uh, my fun experience with Oil Sands Action. Uh, oil, or maybe that's Oil Sands Strong, the, the guy that I'm thinking of. Uh, oil Respect, which is a very funny concept, uh, is the name of one of these oil pro-oil advocacy groups. These all claim to be, you know, grassroots organizations, but, um, I, you know, I, I have my doubts. Yes, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, the oil industry realized that they were losing the PR battle. Uh, I mean, you know, the um, uh, it was it was part of the braggadocio uh, 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 bra- bra- bragging of the uh, oil companies in Alberta. In 2006, they stick a huge truck from the tar sands right on right in Washington, right right by near near the Capitol Hill uh, in a mall there, just to show how big and great we are. And then, of course, that caught the attention of, of, of environmentalists, and, and, and you know, it, it led to a um, you know a, a, a broad campaign to try and shut down the tar sands. Yes, and and over and above the kind of like wide scale astroturfing or kind of astroturf light work that they've the oil and gas industry has engaged in, they have also engaged in large scale political action. Uh, and kind of doing their very best to kind of capture government through their their lobbying efforts. Um, what did you discover when you, you looked into just how much work the oil and gas industry has done, as well as CAP, to 
do influence elections and to do political work. All them doing all of this, of course, despite the fact that as you have laid out, they are majority foreign owned. Well, uh, they, they certainly do lots of lobbying. Uh, there was a great study by the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, uh, 2011 to 2018. So that overlapped both the Harper and Trudeau governments. There were 11, over 11,000 meetings um, <laughs> at that time, which means uh, it's like one a day uh, with, with the, the, oil, the oil companies are meeting. And, and it, it, the, the meetings are, are recorded. And you, if it's a senior government person, you, you have to. But they're actually meeting with other people who are kind of middle level as well. So even more than that. So there was they're, they're in perpetual uh, lobbying. And the purpose of lobbying is to is to, you know, sort of flood the intellectual um, uh, airwaves to, to present their point of view, and, and for the person who's working in government to only hear that perspective. Um, then there was uh, the CAP um, uh, has registered as a third party, as a, uh, and they are allowed to spend a million dollars before in the pre-election period and a half a million dollars during the election period. Uh, and so, and they've been doing that in both the 2019 and 2021 federal elections. Um, they've also been doing um, massive advertising on uh, television and uh, you know radio uh, on their their campaigns to to try and convince people that they're good guys and that they are the bedrock of the Canadian economy. All of those things, um, and of course, they had in the in the social media as well. Um, so they're, they're, uh, they're very active in, uh, in trying to influence, um, both elections, uh, so voters and the government directly. And of course, I, I talked earlier about this secret committee that was set up, uh, it was called create the path, um, in, at the beginning of COVID. Um, and it, it had the, um, the minister, uh, Seamus, uh, Reagan, uh, O'Regan. Uh, the, the natural resources and deputy ministers from a bunch of different departments. And they did a lot of things to try and, um, well, uh, to block any kind of, um, um, you know, restrictions on their ability to make, to make uh, profits. Yes. And for some reason, CAP has not registered as a third party advertiser in Alberta politics. Uh, I don't know how they've justified that, to be honest. But uh, but yes, your well your point is well noted in regards to how much uh, time and effort they've expended, both in the federal election as a as a third party advertiser, as well as the lobbying efforts, which are again hard to even contemplate the reality of that of just how many full time lobbyists they have, how often they are meeting with senior bureaucrats as well as elected officials, as well as the stuff that just doesn't get logged. Like these people, their job is to like exist at receptions and fundraisers and to just simply always be there at their shoulder, you know, around the coffee um, table at an event, you know, just like always reminding them that like, we have our, we have our political and material interests. Here's what they are. And I, you will constantly know what they are. Um, And it's very funny too, right? Like the uh, cap and the kind of oil and gas industry is very overtly, even if they don't kind of say so, they're very overtly in favor of the conservative uh, party of Canada. And they would much rather prefer them win than the liberals. 
But the funny thing is, is they get pretty much everything they fucking want out of the liberals as well. Yeah, yeah, that, sure. You know, they did have that. We, we talked earlier about that one day meeting, a whole day meeting with the conservatives, with Andrew Scheer when he was leader and, and his whole group. But they, they, you know, they they continue to lobby the liberals. They have a tremendous influence on the liberals. You I mean you can see it? Why do we have carbon tax, which which uh, targets the consumers? But there has been uh, almost no uh, restriction on the production of oil and gas, and that is our biggest source of emissions. And that that in itself shows the influence of of big oil and big foreign oil. Exactly. It's, 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 again, read the report. It's incredible to even just contemplate how deeply entrenched in the halls of power the oil and gas industry is. And again, it, it is always hilarious when they cast themselves as these poor little victims because, again, the largest, most profitable, most wealthy fucking uh, industry in this country. And... I think, I think we're getting close to the end of our time here, but there is a, a question that I think is worth raising. And you, you raise it in your report a little bit, right? Like it was largely like the left and center left that was kind of concerned with the whole issue of foreign ownership and foreign control as like a, as an existential threat to Canada. And like, I was born in 1983. I'm 38 years old. I, I largely missed, uh, you know, the debate around NAFTA and kind of like the Mel Hertig era of like, you know, Canadian economic nationalism. Um, but like what's old is new again. And then now the conservative movement has essentially revived these ideas uh, of economic nationalism to go after, you know, quote unquote, foreign funded environmentalists. Uh, but like, I, I worry that like for someone like me, like on the left, I don't much care if the oil companies are owned by Canadian or foreign capital, right? They're clearly working against you know, me and everyone else who wants to survive as a species when it comes to climate change. So like when it comes to the left, is this framing of like, you know, big foreign oil necessarily like helpful? Do you think it's useful for the left as a, just as a way to do public education and to engage the public on the issue? Like, is, is this, uh, this framing of the oil and gas industry as big foreign oil, is it, is it more rhetorical, useful as a rhetorical device than anything? Well, um, you know, the uh, climate crisis, the climate emergency we live in is a global one, obviously, but it doesn't mean the solutions are global. There is no uh, world government. We, where we have democracy, and of course, democracy is under threat at the moment uh, in lots of places, um, the, it's at the national and local and, and regional levels. So it, it you know, the, the, uh, the problems may be global, but it has to be national governments and provincial governments and city governments, etc., that are going to deal with this. And so that's where democracy is. And so it matters that, that you know, Canada has control over its own destiny and is not, uh, has, you know, influenced by um, big foreign money. I mean, we, look, we have our own problems with our own um, uh, home, homegrown capitalists. But what big foreign money does is it gives a lot more power to those people, like Michael Binion we talked about. Uh, you know, I mean, someone like him has perfect right as a Canadian citizen to, to be involved in Canadian debates. But having that foreign money allows him to have much more heft, a much bigger, a bigger voice than he would have. 
So I think that we, I'd like to see an economy that was, that was um, uh, responsible to the citizens, to the people. So, you know, we need both a popular national sovereignty and a sense that we're all humans and that we all have to support each other on a, on the basis of, of humanity and, and uh, support for each other. So, but there's a, there's a difference between globalization and, and international, internationalization or internationalism. Globalization is about markets for corporations. Um, what internationalism and, and the na and nations are, that's where, if it's, uh, you know, that's where you can have democracy. I'm not saying there is, we don't have enough democracy anywhere, but if you're going to have democracy, that's where you have it. So, I know. I uh, just, go ahead. I, I just wish we were as well connected to our comrades involved in struggle as as international capital is connected to, to someone like the oil and gas industry. It's uh, the scale of, of the, the money flowing around and like just how big and powerful they are is something that is, um, again, like you just need to read the report and kind of try and understand it. It's, it's incredibly important. The, the economic nationalism question is just, it's just an interesting one. Like how do you get people's attention? Right. I, I think it's, um, it's a, uh, which is a fundamental problem that every, you know, left-wing organization faces, any small independent uh, policy shop or researcher or journalist faces, is, you know, how do you get the attention of the public? And I, I don't think, I think you've, you've got something here. It's just, it's, it's not necessarily like a deep structural issue that I have with it, but I think it's just, you know, worth raising the question. I, I also think that as we come to the, come to the, come to the end of our time here, um, that like, it's just worth reiterating that like Canada is, the bad actor here <laughs> like when you compare canada's emissions to its size of its population we are absolutely one of the worst actors in the world <laughs> and and the, this has been exacerbated by everything that you talk about in your report and so that's why i want to end our time here talking about you know essentially like walk us through your recommendations how do we actually what do you say we should be doing to solve this problem well, we have to curb the power of, of big foreign oil uh, and, and its, its influence on um, uh, Canadian energy policy, climate policy. This is why we are the G7 bad boy, because it's the production of oil and gas that is the biggest source of emissions here. And they're allowed to have free hand. Well, so generally, it's important that people, the Canadians understand where, what big foreign oil is doing. But I have some specific things. In, in 20, the 2016 U.S. presidential election, there was a lot of talk about Russian meddling. And so the, in, in response to that, and, and the, the, the sense of, okay, we shouldn't have, um, you know, any kind of foreign meddling in our elections, the, the, the uh, Trudeau government passed the, the Elections Modernization Act, and it banned... Um, foreign entities from um, spending money in Canadian elections. And I think that's a good thing. But what it did, it left a huge loophole. So uh, uh, you get a, a, an oil corporation that's, that's, that's foreign owned and that's headquartered abroad, they're banned. But if that, that foreign owned uh, corporation comes and sets up in Calgary and calls itself Canadian, they're not banned. They're considered Canadian, it's, and it's it's absurd. 
Now, I've been working with people in the United States, and there was just a bill that was brought forward three days ago into the, the U.S. House of Representatives banning foreign corporate influenced uh, corporations from spending in, in elections. Um, and, it, and this is brought up, this is brought by the Democratic uh, members of, the, of uh, the, the House of Reps. So anyways, I, so what I would like to do is, is to close the loophole that we have in Canada. So define foreign influenced uh, in the following way. And, and I actually have, have taken this from the ideas of, uh, of uh, my American colleagues. If, um, um, this is a threshold, if, if a, a foreign influenced corporation is one that has 5% of a foreign government shareholder, 20% of a single non-government foreign shareholder, or 50% total foreign ownership. Um, so what we're saying is that, is that the act should be, should be uh, amended to include uh, those uh, foreign influence corporations on that, according to those thresholds. Um, so we also want to prohibit foreign influence corporations from funding through membership Use in other ways political interventions of lobbying like CAP. So you know, if a, a group like CAP gets most of its funding as foreign funding, it should not be able to intervene in Canadian politics. Um, we should also restrict further the maximum allowable individual political donations. So, for example, Alberta, when the NDP was in power, um, uh, put a, a cap on individual uh, on sorry, banned corporate uh, funding and union funding. And then they put a, a, a cap on, on what an individual um, donation was, but that was $4,000. The Kenny government has upped that a bit. What we found was that the oil companies found ways to use those individuals. So uh, somebody who owns an oil company will do the maximum $4,000, you know, and, and all of this money went to parties you know, either mainly on the side, the right side, none went to the NDP. But you know, if if so, the, if if the uh, the owner would uh, reach the limit, they would you know, give the money to a to a spouse, who would give the money maybe to kids. So the money did find its way in, and we've got to block some of the, those uh, those loopholes. Well, we should also pass legislation that empowers Elections Canada to prohibit groups from making deceptive representations for the purpose of promoting a political party, um, you know, in much the way that, that the uh, consumer um, uh, protection uh, uh, acts uh, do that. Um, so, um, you know, the whole purpose of this is that we have, we're in a climate emergency and we have, and the big foreign oil is one is perhaps the biggest blockade to us really taking, really uh, doing something in this country. And so that's why it's very important that, that Canadians understand this and support the curbing of their power. Yes, uh, it's important to realize, for everyone to realize that uh, oil and gas companies are not your friends. They are not providing jobs out of the goodness of their heart. If you read their literature uh, and what they tell investors, it's all about share buybacks and dividends until they can just roll up the company and have it exit and disappear like a fart in the wind. They are, they are not here to uh, provide jobs out of the goodness of their heart. Everything they do uh, is uh, motivated by the profit motive and by, again, um, 
meeting the fiduciary uh, duty that they have to their shareholders, which are majority foreign owned. Again, remember. And it's uh, it, if you really want, if you want to read all of um, Gordon's uh, recommendations, uh, again, we will link to the report in the show notes. It is uh, absolutely essential reading. And, and just a funny little thing to end on too, which is that recently Alberta's Justice Minister Casey Madu uh, introduced and passed Bill 81. And contained within that bill is uh, language that would ban foreign election advertising donations in provincial politics. Which, uh, you know, if you're looking for a way to get attention on this, Gordon, you might want to just go after this and say, hey, based on your new law, uh, CAP is not allowed <laughs> to, to advertise anymore <laughs> or to do a, little, a political or election advertising in this province anymore. Um, uh, because, again, CAP is a majority foreign-owned organization. Um, but, uh, Gordon, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show. I want to thank you for the report. What's the best way people can follow along uh, with your work? Well, the, um, you could uh, you can go to my website. Uh, it's www.gordonlaxer.com. So www.gordonlaxer.com. You can also go, the, the Council of Canadians uh, was a co-publisher of this report along with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alters. You can go into their website, uh, look at what, and, and you could find my report there. Um, and uh, yes, uh, there's there's a lot of work that we have to do, and uh, we are going to win on this. The, the, the oil industry is a sunset industry, and Albertans can do other things and must do other things if we're going to be part, be part of the economy of the mid-21st century. Exactly. Uh, that's a fantastic place to leave it, Gordon. Thank you for your work. Uh, folks, if you like this podcast, uh, you know we would really appreciate it if you could join the 500 or so other folks who help keep this independent media project going. Um, you know, become a, re- a monthly recurring donor. It's very simple. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons. It would be a fantastic Christmas gift for myself and Jim. Uh, also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I need to hear, I am very easy to get a hold of. I am on Twitter at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at duncank at progressalberta.ca. Thanks again to Gordon Lax for coming on. Thank you to Jim Story for editing the podcast. Thank you to Cosmic Famu Communist for our theme. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.